If you will, turn back in your Bibles, Numbers chapter 23. We will be taking up the parable, which is also a very concrete historical narrative with all kinds of lessons for us. This is not Aesop's fable. This is not any of the old pagan mythologies, as many blind and ignorant scholars would assert. And I will seek to attempt to help you understand that by way of application. If we can today, let me see how I want to go about it. Have you ever been someone's ass? All right, so hold on because it's important for you to get this. Especially for my gentle uh, PG-rated brothers and sisters. An ass is a female donkey. There are 22 translations of your English Bible. And in about but one, the term ass is used in order to distinguish the gender of the donkey in view. And that's on purpose. If you notice carefully by the conversation that unfolded between Balaam and the donkey, it was described as a female. And so God is not the author of confusion. And all throughout culture, an ass is not looked upon as a derogatory term. You can lose yourself with it, or you can understand that there's a distinction being made between the male and the female. I will drive that home a little further as we go. But in our text, there are a number of lessons that really require focus. Observation of the text is critical. We're dealing with a a, a narrative, a, a motif of narrative language. And in narrative, there are constructs in the language, in the sentence structure, that if you read it carefully, you'll see certain things. In theology, we talk about chiasms or chiasms, and these are modalities of linguistic structure that speak to us, not hidden truths. They're obvious on the surface. It's just not easy to see unless you read carefully. Now, your Bible is filled with what we call couplets or parallelisms. These ideas where terms are used and phrases are used, particularly in the prose, like in the Proverbs. When the proverb says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's a couplet. That's a pairing of two phrases in contrast. When your Bible will say in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Those are pairings. They are contrasts. Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew, as it was in the days of Noah. So that is called a parallel conjunction. It's making a parallelism between the first phrase and the last phrase. So it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. You guys keeping up with me? So when you read your Bible, you got to listen to these little quips and see their couplings. Sometimes they are parallelisms and sometimes they are contrasting statements that give you the opposite view. We quoted Proverbs 19, 21 last week. There are many ways in the heart of a man. That means a man's heart will go in 50 different directions. But the counsel of the Lord is one way. 
His principles are one principle. He's one true and living God, and there's only one way of salvation. That's a contrasting couplet. Did that come home? Well, what we're about to see in the narrative form are couplets of ideas in terms of the outworking of the narrative for you and I to understand what is God really saying in this storyline that we're dealing with? What does he want you and I to get? He wants you and I to understand first what I said last week. We're dealing with a spiritual warfare. We're dealing with principalities and powers in heavenly places Governing the affairs upon the earth in the hearts and minds of men all the way up to the higher echelons of government. This would have been seen by you in the last verse of the reading where Balak, the king, took Balaam, the prophet, the false prophet, mind you, to the top of the hill to look down on the people of God from a kind of bird's eye view in order to curse them. This indicates by topography that you and I have powers way above us, looking down on us, wanting to destroy our progression in God. Did that make some sense? So I'm just telling you, you got to read your Bible Bible carefully. It's not some hyper esoteric code. It just requires reading carefully. I have kind of given you something of that nature in the three points I'm about to develop. Point number one, the anger of God against Balaam. That's explicit. We can easily draw that out. But point number two, the anger of Balaam against his ass. That's a couplet. Can you see that? And then point number three, the argument of the ass to Balaam. Right. And I could also give you a point number four, which should be easily drawn out. The argument of the angel against Balaam. These are couplets. Are you guys hearing me? If I was teaching you in theology how to understand hermeneutically unpacking scripture, you'd be able to see that. Now you do. Do you not? Raise your hand if you see it. It's explicit there. So walk with me through the text. First thing I want to say is what we dealt with last week around the baffling prophet Balaam is that Balaam baffles most people, especially Christians, because words really deceive us when we cannot detect motives and actions. Balaam is a baffling prophet because he can deceive with words. And you and I are easily deceived by words. I'm sorry, you are. When you and I are not grounded objectively and we disassociate ourselves with a society that would tell us, you don't have any feelings, you don't have any emotions. What we're saying is, I do have emotions, I do have feelings, but they're holy. I don't get to waste my emotions and feelings on your manipulative propaganda or your words that would lead me in a wrong direction. My emotions are holy enough that God would tell me to restrain them to make sure I rejoice in what is good and I despise that which is evil. Now my emotions are in check. Are you keeping up with me? Let me make it plain. They are not trying to control your words today. They're trying to control your emotions. Because your emotions, when controlled by somebody else, means you are blind. You can be looking something dead in the face and not see it for what it is because you are blinded by your emotions. Glad to have you in the house. This is how we preach at Grace Bible Church. Because we want you to know that the matters of salvation are serious. This is not a play thing. All over the world, people are playing church 
and on their way to hell. Synagogue on their way to hell. Okay? All of your gatherings, they're on their way to hell. Plain church. Plain gatherings. And what I'm saying to you and I, when we come into the house of the Lord, our eyes should be opened up more and more, not closed. We should go away having learned something. Right? God is worshiped in spirit and in truth, not by emotions and lies. So I might say, as we are working through the text, that Balaam stands for us as a maniacal, wicked, false prophet, and it shouldn't even be doubted. How do we know this? Joshua, just over in the next book, as he goes into the promised land, says it in Joshua 13, 22, that Balaam was a soothsayer. Y'all got that? Now, I told you last week that was absolutely anathema for Torah. Torah forbids the people of God to pursue diviners or or people who engage in necromancy or people who engage in familiar spirits or call up the dead or Ouija boards or, or horoscopes. And all of these things are nothing but mechanisms, vehicles, portals by demonic activity. Did you hear what I stated? So when you are inclined to those things, you are opening yourself up to delusions. They are realities, but they're delusions. They are powers, but they are delusions. They can grab you, control you, take you on a ride, and you swear you're dealing with truth, but they are delusions. This is what you're dealing with here. It's important for you to know. And I want you to capture the construct because I'm going to be laying out the parallels and make them clear for you. Balaam, also the son of Beor, the what? Soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the what? That word is about to come up in a minute because you're going to see the parallelisms between Balaam's behavior towards its ass and God's behavior towards Balaam. The word sword is going to come up again so you and I can learn the end of Balaam is damnation. So hurry up and understand, as smooth as he is, don't ever let the smooth taste fool you. It'll send you straight to hell. It'll send you straight to hell. And so Balaam is what I recognize today in our society among our leaders, a pathological liar. The pathology of Balaam is that he can lie to your face and make you want to believe him, even if your brain cannot hold that cognitive dissonance together. And even when he gets caught, he continues lying. He will not stop. The last verse of chapter 24 lets us know this. It lets us know that even when Balaam is done trying to curse the children of Israel, He goes away and comes at it from another direction. The Proverbs lays it out to us so explicitly clear in Proverbs 26. When you hear him speak graciously, when he uses words that are smooth as butter, this is the Proverbs, do not believe him because there are seven abominations in his heart. So abominations don't always come out as fangs. A lot of times they come at us, honey. And they are sweet to the taste, but deadly to the soul. It therefore requires you and I to be very objective, very critical, very rational, and helped by God to discern between good and evil. Am I making some sense? 
So Balaam will prove this for us as we work our way through the text. There are a couple of more things I want to talk about, but I think I'll walk us up into this other portion of a very unique uh, phenomena that's happening in our account. And I want you to understand why it occurred under point number one. Therefore, let's walk this through because we ended at verse 22 in our text, numbers 22, 22. And I want to explicitly draw out where God, where God stands with Balaam in numbers 22, verse uh, 22. Notice what the text tells us. The tells us, text tells us in the opening of the verse, and God's anger was kindled. Do you see it? And God's anger, his wrath was kindled. Here's the reason why. Balaam, or Balaam, went with Balak. See, now whoever you run with, that's your team. See, God had already told him, as we learned back in verse 12, don't go. So no matter what is going on in the narrative and the discourse and the dialogue between Balaam and God and, and Balaam and Balak, Balaam is doing what he wants to. This is how you know. This is why the proverb says a child is known by his ways, whether they be good or whether they be right. Because like a child will generally do what he or she feels. If you watch them, they're going to do what's going on in their heart. Now, adults are a lot more, they're a lot more sneaky and manipulative. We're getting ready to go there. We're much more like snakes. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But children, they're very obvious in terms of their intents and motives. That doesn't make them innocent. It just makes them consistent. Adults, you have to read a lot more carefully, and especially the ones that get paid. The lowest of hell is resided for preachers who tell lies. After them, lawyers. Lawyers. And after the lawyers, politicians. And today, after them, doctors. Right? It's important for you to understand you live in a world where they are strategically, constantly seeking to hoodwink you by systems of lies. And you and I have to be very discerning. So point number one lays it out. The anger of God was against Balaam because he went. Subpoints A and B. Rebellion against God's decree. You and I looked at verse 12. God plainly told him over in verse 12. And God said to Balaam, or Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are what? Right. This is a cursing, blessing motif. It's going to show up in a clearer way here shortly. That's what he said. This is where he apprehended him over in verse 20. And you and I learned that last time. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, if the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But yet the word that I shall say unto you, you shall do. And what did we learn? He took off before they came. And this is where God punished him. And he will punish him, as you will see. Subpoint B in your outline. His pretense to do what? Represent God. Now, see, this is the big problem with Balaam. If you read the text carefully, every time he opens his mouth, you know what he said? Now, Balak, you know, I really want to help you, man. But whatever God says, I got to do. I mean, I can't do anything but what he says. You know, he sounds like a huckster working between two powers to ante up the pay so he can get paid more. Am I making some sense? So he's talking on the behalf of God with his lips, but his heart is far from God. Now, I stated what I said a little bit earlier about preachers because preachers are called prophets, as any professing Christian that would take up the Bible and quote the Bible. 
If you have the word of God in your lips, but it's not in your heart, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And you'd it'd be better off to leave off with theological things and going into the secular world than to pretend that you know God and use God's name for your own gain. You see, Balaam is really what we call a simoner. Simony is an old Saxon term for being greedy for gain. This is how Jude puts it in Jude 1 verse 11. Pull it up. The New Testament speaks of Balaam three times. The first time it's called the way of Balaam, the way of Balaam. And this is why God said uh, later in our text that God was going to kill him because he found his way perverse before him. Did y'all hear that reading? Right. When you and I are perverse before the Lord, we are not saved. When we're perverse before the Lord, we're out of God's will and his judgment really is hanging over our heads. Listen to the way Jude put it. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, anger and wrath and murder, and they have run greedily after the what? Error means to turn out of the way. See, the Bible says there are two spirits in the world. First John 4, 4, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's only two. People want to make many ways, but there are only two ways, the way of truth and the way of lies. Balaam has gone into the way of error. You guys got that? And that's going to show up vividly in the analogy of the struggle he's about to have with the ass. You're going to see that, okay? But the first time he's used in the New Testament, he's used by Jude, the apostle, who says, and they have gone greedily after the era of Balaam for what? Money and perished in the gainsayings of Korah. That's the first time he shows up. We'll look at the second time here in a moment in 2 Peter as Peter addresses it as well. So under point number one, his pretense to represent God is what makes him deceitful. It makes him wicked. And Balaam is something that God has had to warn Israel about over and over. They had a pecant for wicked leaders. They had a strong pecant for false prophets. Isaiah chapter 30 will help us, verses 8 through 11. Listen to what it says. We're building a framework to understand something more than the fact that God has the number of the false prophets. We're building an account of a narrative that teaches how God keeps us from going to hell with them when he has laid his hand on us. And that's important to know. That's why I asked you in the opening of the discourse. Have you ever been somebody's ass? Did y'all hear what I just stated? Now, most of us should be honest about it. Of course, some fool has led me about by the neck and, and governed me in my ignorance and naivete. I found myself governed by stupid systems that promised me wealth and prosperity, but because of my naivete and my sinfulness, I was going down the wrong path. I ended up in jail, hanging out with fools that told me I could get rich and did not know I needed the true and the living God. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? So a few of us knows what it means to be ridden like an ass by somebody that can control us because we didn't know who we are or who we were in Christ. So our text is speaking vividly to us. Now go, says Isaiah, write it before them in a tablet. This is Isaiah doing the legal work of a lawyer. I told you that the true prophets of God were like lawyers to Israel. Because Israel was like the bride of Jehovah and the lawyer was coming with indictments against Israel because of her disobedience and rebellion. Here's another indictment. This would be part of a longer contract of divorce that would end up putting Israel out of the land. Notice what he says. Go 
and write before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Verse 9, here's the content. Verse 9 through 11, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Ah, they're just like Balaam. I just told you Balaam was a liar. He was rebellious against God. God gave him a very clear decree, don't go. Israel is doing the same thing, is it, are they not? Let me see if I can build my argument. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Which say to the seers, now this is what Israel did. Israel was in control of its preachers. It would say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Notice what he says. Speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. So I'm going to help you a little bit with grammar. If you have the heebie-jeebies, just take some antibiotics, and that would be prayer. Let me give you two meanings so you can know. Smooth doesn't necessarily mean smooth in the aesthetic sense. It means slippery. Listen to me now. It's teaching that is not clear enough for you to really know what they're saying. This is equivocating speech. Modes of speaking where you're not quite sure if they mean this or they mean that. Modes of speaking where they are not definitive, they're not concise, they're not coherent, and they're not consistent. When you hear a faithful proclamation of the word, you know what that person is saying, even if you don't like it. When you listen to a slick huckster who is eloquent with their words, they can open up the way they speak in a fashion where you can take it and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. This is what's going on in most of your churches today. So that men and women are not hearing the word of the Lord. They're hearing eloquent speeches where they can take and frame the conclusions for themselves. And when that happens, you are not being confronted with God's truth. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? And this is what they loved. They loved this. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 11. He said, when John came, and John was a stern, straightforward preacher, John the Baptist. When John came, John told you you needed to repent, you needed to mourn, you needed to weep, you needed to cast up sackcloth and ashes because the axe is laid to the tree. Now, that was clear as you can get it. And what did Israel do? They danced and celebrated as if they didn't understand what John was saying. Then Jesus said, when I came along, I told you it's time to rejoice because the bridegroom is near. Salvation is at hand. Come to me and everything will be all right. And Israel continued to reject both of those prophets. They were a rebellious house as you and I are dealing with today. Verse 11, verse 11, Isaiah 30, verse 11, before I go on. Go, you get you out of the way. Now, this is the people telling the prophet, get out of the way. I don't want you in the way of truth. I don't want you telling me what the Bible says. I don't want you calling me a sinner. I don't want you exposing my iniquity. I don't want you exposing my transgressions and sins. I want you to tell me everything is all right with me. I want you to tell me what I want to hear. I'm paying you to lie to me. I got that? That's exactly what he's saying. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. And here it is. Here it is. Cause the Holy One of Israel, and that is Mashiach, Hashim, Jesus the Anointed One. Cause him to cease from among us. 
Now, when you've got this kind of rebellious antipathy working in church members, they will never hear the gospel preached because they don't want it. Did you hear what I just stated? They will go to church in and out, week in and week out, month in and month out, and Christ will not be set forth, exalted in his glory, his redemptive mercies, and men and women will not be challenged to bow the knee to the son of the living God. They'll come and go from the house of God, just as ignorant as they were when they came in, never seen the glory of God in Christ. Have you been there? I'm sure you have. It's so commonplace today, you don't know that when you've come and gone, you never met Jesus. You never heard the word expounded. The gospel was not preached. But today you're going to hear it expounded and explained to you very clearly. So Israel had the same problem that they were very much like Balaam. God only was beneficial to them so long as he paid the bills and gave them what, he, what they wanted. Point number two in our outline. All right, time to go to work. The anger of Balaam against his ass. Now, when you look with me in chapter 22, verses 22 through 27, this is going to give us our framework for the narrative conflict that's going to give us these couplings. Look at verse 22 through 20, uh, 24 through 27. We looked at verse 22. Notice what it says. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyard, Nope, I'm going to start at verse 22. God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Do you guys see that? So the position of the angel of the Lord is he's opposing Balaam. Y'all got that? Please understand when the angel of the Lord opposes you, you are not right with God. Now let's go on. There's more to learn here. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. Verse 23. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field and Balaam smote the ass to turn her back in the way. Now, here again is the kind of uh, language that's being used. And it may sound humorous, but what it is, is an indication of an alarm that you and I should grasp. Pastor, what's that? The first thing is the ass has more insight than Balaam. (laughs) Secondly, the ass is doing right by the revelation. But in that the ass sees more than Balaam sees and the ass is doing right by the revelation, the ass is in the same kind of conflict that Balaam is. Because Balaam is in between Balak, a pagan king, and Jehovah, the true king. And Balaam is trying to negotiate both against God and the ass has chosen to submit to the revelation and he's now working against his master. Am I making some sense? It's important for you to capture that because sometimes you're in that twix. I don't want to be too long with this, but the enemy loves to put you there. He loves to put you in a twix between you and God because he gets to determine whether or not by that scenario, by that event, by that trial, will you submit to God or will you follow the way of the wicked one? Am I making some sense? The ass is going to teach us a lot about the saving mercies of God to an undeserving sinner. Okay, but you're going to suffer 
whenever you actually have a higher principle that you operate out of, but somebody else has a kind of temporal authority over your life. And when you start walking in righteousness, you're going to suffer by that wicked fool who has control over your life. You're going to be smitten. Now, Balaam has smitten his ass, has he not? To get her back in the way where she can act a fool like him. It's extremely important to see. I know it's touching some of you guys now. You can't get up. You have a spiritual seatbelt strapped down and you cannot unlatch it even if you wanted to. The anger of the Lord was against Balaam. And, and it's very clear. Look at verse 25. Look at it. Verse 24. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyard and there was a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. So, again, the language now is laying out the narrative in this way. What God is doing is narrowing the event. And sometimes our trials get narrowed down to where we have no option but to deal with what's in front of us. The ass tried to get out because the ass saw something that caused her to respect what she saw. Her master beat her back in the way and now she's dealing with the same stuff she was dealing with before. Hanging out with a fool will make your life miserable. Here it is. Notice what the text says. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. This sister did a kamikaze move because she sustained a committed reverence for what she saw in front of her. This time, what she tried to do was get her master to understand his feet are wrong. His conduct is wrong. His path are wrong. The Bible says the feet of the wicked are swift to destruction. And Balaam's feet represent his pathway, his conduct, his goings. Am I making some sense? And what the ass is doing now is showing him that he's not walking right. So she she thrusts her body up against the wall to crush his feet to get him to see you need to stop, man. We are headed down a bad pathway. Right. This gives you a lot of insight into how a struggle between power dynamics go. And when you're trying to really get somebody to do what's right and they don't, you have to go through some very serious measures sometimes, don't you? Sometimes you might even have to hurt yourself. See it? That's what's going on here in the text. It's extremely uh, insightful when we work it through psychologically and sociologically. She thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and then he smote her again. Okay, now look at point, uh, verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. You see, Every one of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of God one day. Ultimately, when God is working in his providence, you and I don't have any more wiggle room. At a certain point in time, we're going to have to deal with what's going on in front of us. That's when God is good enough to you to keep you from your mad dash to hell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I just need to make sure I'm going to keep going, but I want you to get it. When God cares about you, He starts cutting off all your options, all your alternatives, all your different schemes and methods and plans. He narrows you in. He gets you to the place where it becomes obvious that you're walking in rebellion against him. And you're hurting the very thing that has been helping you survive all the day long. 
This is what God is talking about. I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I really do. I've been there a few times with our church, but it's deep and it's explicitly important for you and I to capture it. The anger of Balaam against his ass is because his ass would not obey him. That's the point A, sub point B, because the ass had a saving revelation of the angel of the Lord. Now, ladies and gentlemen, who is this angel of the Lord? Jesus. Did y'all get that? Let me help you if you didn't hear Moses tell you. This is uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. This is going to be our our final point when we get there. The donkey, the she-donkey, the female donkey, the ass, actually sees the Lord when her master doesn't. Did y'all get that? Now, I want you to understand why the Lord is there so you can understand that this narrative genre is consistent with the way the promises of God have been laid out. Listen to what it says. Behold, I send my what? My angel before you. In other words, the angel is a forerunner. He goes before us. Isn't that the way the Hebrew writer puts it? Jesus is our forerunner for us, having entered into glory, and we're headed where he's already is. Right. Now, he goes before his people, but he also goes before them, as the text says, to keep us in the way. Is God good? So the Lord Jesus is actually traversing what's in front of us to make sure our pathway to our goal is clear. That's what the angel of the Lord is doing here. Watch what it says. Behold, I send my angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have what? Is that what is going on in our narrative text? Is that what's going on in our text? Is Israel being hindered from crossing over into the promised land by a maniacal false prophet who, along with a secular king, wants to stop them? Well, what did God promise? I'll go before you and I'll fight with your enemies and I'll make sure I bring you into the land. And therefore, the angel of the Lord that you are looking at right now is keeping his promise. I love this because... He's not only keeping his promise to that crazy group of ignorant, rebellious Jews of whom our narrative has nothing to say. Remember I told you last week, not a word from them? Because this is not to them, but this is about them. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because Balaam's ass represents rebellious Israel. In other words, they really want to be led by a Balaam. Did that make some sense? All right, so y'all got a big old cloud up your head. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Listen to it carefully. Are you there? Listen to what Isaiah says. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have what? Who are we talking about? Israel. Look at verse 2. Look at it. Here it is. Verse 2 says, the ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know my people don't consider. They're stupider than the ass that Balaam is riding. Did y'all catch that? Now, what I love about the major and the minor prophets is they get into the nitty gritty of the conflict between national Israel and God. And they've always rebelled against God. Jeremiah called them asses in he. Jeremiah chapter two. 
who couldn't get enough of sexual promiscuity with all the pagan nations around them. I taught y'all that, have I not? How many of you guys heard me teach you that long ago? For those of you who don't know your Bible, read Jeremiah 2. God says it over and over and over again. They always look to the other nations to find their satisfaction when I'm the one that rescued them out of Egypt. All right, so I'm going to help you a little bit more just in case you don't know. There's a clear allusion here to national Israel. Y'all got that? Go with me to the minor prophet Micah. Micah will help us with this as well because Micah addresses this over in the book of Micah chapter uh, 3. Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Listen to how Micah addresses this. There are two passages that I want us to look at on this. But in Micah 311, listen to what it says. The heads thereof judge for what? That's the rulers. They're judging for what? They wanted money just like Balaam did. Does that not describe our time? The heads thereof judge for reward. The priests thereof teach for what? Was Balaam a hireling? And the prophets thereof divine for what? Is Balaam a soothsaying diviner that divines for money? You see what I'm, and what I love about this is Micah is one of the end time prophets. That means Israel was acting like Balaam all throughout their journey. See what I'm getting at? Notice what it goes on to say. Yet they lean upon the Lord with their lips and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. That's the hypocrisy. You see how Balaam looks like he loves God, looks like he honors God, but in reality, he's in it for the money. So was Israel. Y'all keep it up with me. It's extremely important that you understand that the allusion to the donkey or the ass cannot be lost on us. Look at Micah chapter six, verse five and following. I want you to capture it. This is how you do Bible study and contextualize your interpretations according to scripture. This is not opinion. This is precept upon precept to help you see it from God's word. Here it is. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, did in in consulting what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered from Shittim and Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Do you see that? He's recalling the event and telling you, Remember God's righteousness in it. Now, I can tell you guys don't know what that last clause means. But what it means is everything that's going on in the text. God's righteousness was that he stopped Balaam from cursing the people. God's righteousness was that he stopped Balaam from being able to curse the people because the people were blessed. God's righteousness was that God can't lie, fill, or what? Change, and therefore they are going to go into the promised land. That's the righteousness of God. If he says yes, it's going to be yes. If he says no, it's going to be no. And what God was saying to Israel was, remember how I protected you from Balak and from Balaam. I want you to know my righteousness. Now watch how this walks itself through. Verse 6. Micah 6, 6. We're going to walk through a few verses here to capture it. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves of a year old? Why is he saying that? Because that's what Balaam kept doing, trying to get God to curse Israel. Everywhere he went, he was offering bullocks and sacrifices, was he not? The idea is 
We who are ignorant of God think we can hoodwink God with religion to get him to do what we want when God has plainly told us, just obey my word and I'll bless you. A lot of people come to church because they want blessings from God, but they don't want to obey him. Listen to verse 7, Micah 6, 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? You see what he's doing? He's appealing to them to understand you cannot hoodwink God. The grounds of a relationship with God is not your work, it's God's work. The way you receive favor with God is not by you going through all kind of religious uh, uh, incantations or chicanery or exercises. Even if you get emotional, even if you stir yourself up, even if you cut yourself like the prophets of Baal did, even if you cry, whoa, Baal, God will not hear you. God will not hear me until we bow the knee to Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord, because the solution to our problems is outside of us. It's in the person of Jesus. I'm making some sense, am I not? I'm making some sense. So when you hear all these clowns talking about, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, because I want God to bless me. You'll never be blessed until you bow the knee. You'll never be blessed until you become a donkey, an ass who has had a revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You just own the fact that you've been asked. Just own the fact that you've been asked. Now say, Lord, I want to be your ass. Lord, I want to be your ass. Pastor, stop. I cannot stop. I must tell you the truth because the ass in numbers ends up becoming the ass in Matthew 21, 5. And the Bible tells me he entered into Jerusalem on an ass and a foal of an ass. Jesus is the king that should be riding your life, not belong. Am I making some sense? See, somebody's going to ride you. Somebody's going to ride you or you going to ride somebody. But in reality, in the spiritual dimension, somebody's going to ride you. Either it's going to be God or the devil. I love, I love what's about to come up now. I need to stop and actually do a, a parenthetical commentary. I'll do that in a moment. But just let's, let's enjoy God driving us into the uh, satire essential to capture it. Verse 27 of chapter 22 tells us, And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Do you see it? See, that's the day you just quit. That's, that, that one's going to come home in a minute. You know, you've been trying to work it, work it, work it out. And you use this scheme and you use that scheme and you had this plan and you, you did this and you did that. And nothing seems to work until you just quit. Am I making some sense? See, at some point you just got to quit. That girl plopped down on her knees and said, I'm through. You can kill me. I don't care. I'm not doing it no more. There's some lessons to learn here. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believes on him shall have eternal life and will never perish. 
I submit to you in this satire of a narrative, the ass saw the glory of God in the face of Christ. And she bowed down before him and she didn't care what Balaam would do to her. She was no longer going to serve the pagan. She's going to serve the true and the living God. I'm here to help you get it now, okay? It's going to come through in a minute. It's going to come through in a minute. It's extremely important for you to get. Extremely. And look at what it says over in verse 28. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto you? That you have smitten me these three times. Uh Uh-oh, special announcement. There is something extremely important for you to capture here. We must go into another dimension of understanding narrative theology. This is an omen. Okay, this is an omen. What we're dealing with now is what is called a motif. It's a motif. It's a motif of an omen. There's a danger here. There's a danger here. This is for people who are sensitive to their Bibles. Are you ready? This is called the motif of chaos. This is the motif of chaos. The motif of chaos was not used for the first time in our account here. The motif of chaos is the reason sin entered into the world. What is the motif of chaos? Donkeys don't talk by nature. Like snakes don't talk by nature. Something has to be turned upside down, twisted in and out. A chaos has to occur for life now to function in this kind of misnomer. Y'all keeping up with me? So God is teaching you, you must now look for the larger genre omen in this. There's an omen here. Whenever things are out of order, judgment is on its way. Whenever we are walking contrary to God, he lets nature walk contrary to us. This is an omen. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Three times in your Bible, God allows animals to talk. And he doesn't do it for you to kind of just have a fanciful notion that God can do anything. Of course God can do anything. But when he does things, it has a profoundly theological implication to it. When he allowed the snake to speak in Genesis 3, he was warning Adam and Eve not to rebel against him because danger is at hand. He was warning them about death as a consequence of them violating, breaking the hedge. Didn't I teach you that a week ago? Whosoever breaks the hedge will be bitten by the serpent. So Adam and Eve broke the hedge, did contrary to what God said. And how crazy are you when you think that a snake has the equality of the Imago Dei that you do? When you open yourself up to a snake talking to you, that means you have basically entered into a delusion. Y'all got time for me? Because I'm going to show you scripturally this is the case. I live in a world where men and women are under delusions and they hear voices from all kinds of entities today. Am I telling the truth? Right. And so for Eve to sit up and have a rational conversation with a snake in Genesis three verses one through five meant that Eve lost her mind. And that's what will happen anytime you talk to snakes. They will cause you to lose your mind. 
See, you violate the order, and now we know that God is not present. Remember, God is not the author of what? He's never the author of confusion. So when he allows it to happen, there has been an, an absence of commitment to God's principles. And what's happening as it was with Adam and Eve, with Balaam, Balaam is professing to be a faithful prophet of God. But he's walking in rebellion against God. So God is now allowing the omen and the motif of judgment to occur by allowing the donkey to talk. Now, didn't I tell you that God put his words in Balaam's mouth? Isn't that what we were learning? And God put the word in Balaam's mouth. So what we're being taught here is in the same way that it's incongruent for the ass to be speaking, it's incongruent for Balaam to try to represent God. Balaam is just as rebellious and contradictory as an ass talking to him. Is that coming home? In other words, it would be, I can see the two servants. As y'all know, the text talked about the two servants. They said, man, I'm out of here. You see Balaam talking to that ass? I'm out of here. Now, it was cool while we were making money with him, but this fool talking to an ass now. They just took off. Those brothers took off, and they went over the hill, and they said, do you see him? Do you see Balaam? What's he doing? Now he's talking to somebody that we don't even see. Look at the text. Look at the text. Look at the text over in verse 29. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto thee? You have smitten me these three times. And Balaam said unto her, because you have mocked me. I would there were a sword in my hand, for now I will kill you. This is when those two brothers took off. Because see, they didn't hear the ass talking. They just saw Balaam talking to the ass, talking about killing the ass. And then notice what the text says over in verse 30. And the ass said unto Balaam, now am not I your ass? And, and you've been ridden, riding me forever since I was dying from the day you had me. Was I ever want to do anything wrong to you? And Balaam said, no. I guess you got a point. You... you <laughs> You know we got some problems going on here, right? Yeah, y'all do know we got some problems. Now the ass is more rational than the prophet. This is an omen. This is an omen. Learn it, child of God. God will use anyone and anything to make a point to you to show you that you are the ass. When you're out of God's will, when you are out of God's way, it doesn't matter hierarchy, it doesn't matter authority, it doesn't matter position. When you are not right with God, you are on the low totem pole of insanity. Am I making some sense? Here's another truth you might as well take, because I'm going to teach it to you now. It doesn't matter who speaks to you the truth, you better hear it when it comes, because it might be your life at stake, which is what we're about to learn. Am I making some sense? See, the ass is acting the way the ass is acting because one, she fears God. Two, she sees the revelation of the glory of God in Christ. Three, because she loves her master. See, when you love sinners, you'll tell them the truth. When you love them, you'll tell them the truth. Am I making some sense? You'll, You'll put up with their craziness, but eventually you'll let them know. You'll let them know. And they may view you as nothing but an ass. But now you're God's ass. And you're speaking for God. Do you see it? God is talking to Balaam through the donkey. See, Balaam is projecting. 
he's projecting. His anger is a projection. His beating on the ass is a projection. His projection is his frustration that the ass is not doing what he wants the ass to do. But in reality, he's demonstrating that God is angry with him because he's not doing what God wants him to do. See, if Balaam had a higher perspective on what was going on, he'd know that his anger towards his ass is equivalent to God's anger towards him. Sometimes we don't want to get that, do we? But you know it'll happen. Every now and then we'll discover, you know what, my intemperance, my lack of sensibility, my my lack of broadness of perspective, my agitation, my my uh, my 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 short temperedness, my my inclination to want to be to want to be contentious and strive with that person in front of me. It's really not about them. It's about me and God. That's really what's going on. And sometimes your kids will look at you crazy because they know you all upside down and you want to blame it on them and argue with them. And of course, don't let me start with husbands and wives because that go on all the time. Am I making some sense? And a lot of times it's really that you need to get right with God because you're not right with God. You need to let God know I'm acting towards him or her in the way you should be acting towards me. But because you're kind and patient, oh God, and you have not raised your sword up to cut my head off, I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to stop acting a fool. And I'm going to treat them the way you treat me. That's application. I'm not done yet, but that is application. That is application, is it not? A lot of times God will let you act an absolute fool for a long time until the mirror is so vivid and obvious you cannot run from it. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need. I'm blaming everybody else. I'm blaming him. I'm blaming her. I'm blaming them. It's really me. This is where this ass is with his master, with her master. Notice what it says over in verse 31. Are you there? Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. There it is. He the last one to see. Have you ever been in that kind of predicament? You the last one to figure it out. (laughs) I got about 15 more minutes with y'all. You the last one to figure it out. Have you ever been there? You go, man, everybody saw how stupid I was, but me, right? Listen, let me tell you something. It's better that you see it late than never. It's better that you see it late than never. It's better that you see it late than never. And so we have before us a a very strange, ironic sort of motif in terms of animals talking to human beings. And this 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 is really interesting to me because quite frankly, there's another. I told you there were three occasions where animals are speaking in the scripture and all of them are motifs of evil. This is Revelation 8, 13. This is where I was teaching you guys a couple of years ago in the apocalypse. And the book of the apocalypse is a multi uh, melodrama of 
hyper-symbolic metaphorical imagery around spiritual things that require a broad capacity for handling typology and metaphor and symbolism. You need somebody to walk you through that carefully because you'll get lost in the zodiac space of terminology in the book of Revelation. Is that not true? You have to have a really good framework. Here is the other place that so far most theologians, along with myself, have only found one other occasion where an animal has fundamentally spoken to the human race and it's oxymoronic. I'm going to teach it to you. It's in verse 13. And I beheld and heard an angel. You see the word angel there? Some of you have a translation in your Bible that's much more accurate than the King James. It's the Greek word aitos and it literally means vulture or eagle. Raise your hand if your Bible says eagle. Eagle. That's a better translation. Eagle. Eagle. Eagle flying in heaven like a, a vulture or an eagle. This is the same term that Jesus used in Matthew 21. It's the same term that he used in Luke chapter 17. I'm about to explain it to you so you can capture it. The disciples were walking with Jesus and they were enamored about the temple as the Jews are today. And Jesus had told them, look at these buildings. Everything you see is coming down. You guys remember that? And he was helping them understand that the diaspora would be taking place in 37 years. Israel would be scattered. The temple will be utterly demolished. They asked Jesus the question, when will these things be? Jesus said, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be what? Gathered. What was he talking about? The consequence of war ravaging bodies by the thousands and the vultures of the air coming down to eat the flesh. Y'all keeping up with me? Now, in the apocalypse, what God is doing is showing us the eagle, that same vulture, only now he's talking. He has but three things to say. Notice what the text says. And I beheld an angel, or rather an eagle, flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, three things. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three messengers, which are yet to what? This eagle is speaking in man's voice, letting human beings know the chaos and disruption and judgment of what is called the seven trumpet judgments that would be poured out upon humanity in the days when God begins to give men and women up to their own base rebellion. Did that make some sense? And it doesn't make sense to you if you're not deep in the apocalypse, but for those of you who've been keeping with me, you know seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bold judgments. Y'all know that, right? Bold judgments end humanity. Trumpet judgments are always warning judgments. If the trumpet be blown in the city, shall not the people be warned. So what are trumpet judgments? Trumpet judgments are political upheavals. Trumpet judgments are economic chaoses. Trumpet judgments are diseases that are pandemic in nature, epidemic in nature. Trumpet judgments are when we have famines in the world, when we have society starting to corrupt. Trumpet judgments are when the sociological makeup of societies begins to destabilize. It's when crime increases. It's when all kinds of uh, pathologies of human behavior start to work themselves out in malevolent behavior. The Bible calls those trumpet judgments. 
Here's the reason why. When God makes peace, no one can disrupt. And when God takes his peace away, no one can make peace. That will help you as to why folks are having such hard time in the Middle East. No peace without Jesus. And in our society, the same thing is happening right now. No peace without Christ. What humanity is trying to do is take up, if we will, the hallmarks, take up the standards, take up the principles that bring us peace. And they're trying to produce peace for themselves. But you and I are becoming unraveled at the seams. Our society is under the judgments of God. Are y'all keeping up with me? How do I know? Because the same chaos that we're talking about in terms of the motif of snakes talking, the motif of donkeys talking, you and I are becoming used to that. What are you saying, pastor? When a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man, things are upside down. Did y'all hear what I just stated? When human beings have become used to talking to artificial intelligent bots, Rather than having healthy relationships with men and women, we are now talking about things being in a chaotic state. Am I making some sense? I'm going to go a little bit deeper just in case you don't want to get it. In a minute, animals will be speaking in human language because of artificial intelligence. A few of you know what I'm talking about. A few of you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are still playing party on the beach waiting for the attack because you don't think it will happen to you. Please listen to me. It is not at all unfathomable with the way we work in neuro-linguistic technology to have animals talking to human beings now. We are right there on the precipice. And because human beings are not rooted and grounded in truth, They're going to love talking to their cat and their dog. Are you glad you came to church today? So one of the things that I try to do when I preach and teach is push you enough to jar you out of your self-imposed bias against the Bible. Because a lot of you still think the Bible is a myth. You still think the Bible is just kind of Aesop's fable. It has some good moral principles, but it's not really relevant to where we are today. The Bible is called the spirit of prophecy. It's the spirit of prophecy. And this is why men have hated this book from the beginning of time. Even the prophets of Israel, when they preached, they would be killed by the king. And the writings of the prophet would be cut up and thrown in the fire. But the Bible is clear. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Not one jot and not one tittle will be removed from the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one tot and one jittle of God's word will pass away. God's word will continue to stand forever and ever and ever. And if we don't preach it, God will raise the rocks to stand up and preach the truth of God's word. If we don't tell men and women, you need to repent, the Lord Jesus is at hand, somebody else will do it. There will be a day when artificial intelligence will do it. If you don't want to do it, God will raise robots up to do it. This is true. This is true. This is true. If you and I want to hold our peace out of fear and out of carnal uh, 
biases and inclinations for material things rather than speak for God. He'll shut your mouth and open up. God is sovereign. He rules over everything. There's nothing that exists in this world that God doesn't control. He controls the hands of the men, the maniacal men who program the computers. He can make the computer do whatever he wants it to do. And I'm just trying to help you understand it is not unfathomable when you read the Bible and it takes these ancient, archaic, historical accounts that are limited in their chronology and show you how they are relevant today. This is not a stretch of the imagination that a snake would talk, a donkey would talk, an eagle would talk. It's not a stretch. This is the battle of principalities and powers. This is the battle of evil forces trying to be like God. And God is giving them over to it. Their job is to replace God, to make you believe that they're God. In a minute, what's coming are signs and wonders that are so astonishing that if you are not warned by God's word, you're going to believe the lie. A strong delusion is already at hand. Am I making some sense? See, everybody's already preconditioned to the optic. We love optics, but we are undiscerning when we watch them. We don't realize those optics are preparatory to deceive you. So you're watching a lot of stuff that ain't nothing but what we call simulated constructs that are conditioning your mind to believe things. And as soon as those simulated constructs are operating at higher levels of demonic expression and manifestation, you're going to believe that too. Because you won't know how to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong, between that which is fictitious and that which is authentic. Are you hearing me? And the only way you can be secure that you are not deceived is not because of your intellect, not because of your acumen, not because of your intelligence, not because of your learning, but because you're committed to the God that will keep you from being deceived and being ridden into hell by Balaam rather than into glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're dealing with here. Let me begin to wind it down. I think you got the point now. Point number four is very obvious. The angel of the Lord. Look at verse 31. Now the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord, did he not? And the angel of the Lord was standing in his way, was he not? And his sword was drawn in his hand. There it is. Don't tell me Balaam was a friend of God. Balaam was about to be killed. And Balaam will be killed. Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. Pull it up. So y'all can, this, you've got to read your Bible two ways. You've got to read it across from Genesis to Revelation. And you've got to read it from above with the help of the Holy Ghost to help you rightly divide it. If you stop right here, what you don't know is the image of the angel with his sword drawn really is a precursor to the death of Balaam. Balaam is about to die. Are you keeping up with me? He's about to die. But remember I told you about the couplets, those parallelisms? There's a parallel between Balaam and God and that Balaam was angry with the ass as God was angry with Balaam. There's a parallel between the ass and Balaam and God with the ass. The ass is rebelling against Balaam and Balaam is rebelling against God. Y'all see that parallel? Did you see the ass collapse? 
on his knees. Didn't we just see Balaam collapse on his knees before the Lord? Those are parallels. Also, didn't you hear Balaam said, if I had a sword, I would kill you. There's a parallel between Balaam wanting to kill the ass and God killing Balaam. Did y'all get what I just stated? It's right there and you need to see it. Here's what Numbers 31 said would happen right down the road. And we won't understand why until we get to Numbers 25, because in Numbers 25, Balaam is going to use a ploy to bring Israel into irrepute and major sin. It's the kind of New Testament contemporary sinful pattern that dominates my whole world. And that's sexual promiscuity. That's the perversion of pornography. That's the deviant devastation of sexual activity outside of a covenant relationship, which dominates my people all over the world today. The word is Baal Peor. Y'all got that? Baal, Baal. It means Lord in the Hebrew, okay? But it's a false Lord. It's not Jehovah. Baal is a false Lord. It's like a master. Peor means opening. The master of the opening, the Lord of the opening. I've taught you guys that before. I've taught you that in in a walk with God, God gives you a narrow way to walk. It's a straight and narrow. Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Straight is the gate and few enter therein. Well, I'm living in an era called Baal Baal Peor. That means everything is wide open to be engaged in. It's so wide open, people can never find their way unless the angel of the Lord stood in their way, narrowed their way, and shut them up to God. Y'all keeping up with me? And pa'or is a perverse expression of women using their bodies the wrong way to become an opening for men to enter into them at a sexual and a religious level. Israel has been doing it forever. Are y'all keeping up with me? They have been doing it forever. Sexual perversion and false worship prevails wherever the enemy is in control. This is what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians, with the Corinthians, who want to engage in all kind of uh, charismatic phenomena to be very much like the Delphi oracles and the priestess in the temple who have sex with men to have orgies in order to have revelations. I know that sounds crazy to you, but it's what's going on right now in your society. These are called gateways into demonic dimensions through perverse relationships with with men and women. Today is men and women, so you might as well quit just with women. There's men, women, dogs, and cats. Now, y'all do know that, right? Men, women, dogs, and cats, and sheep, and goats, and, and llamas, and everything else now. It's bestiality. This is what Israel's about to fall into in number 25. This is why God has to kill him in Numbers 31. Y'all got that? Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Let me show you that the Old Testament Yahweh, angel of the Lord, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Jesus had a problem with his church, and it was the church at Pergamos. I'm going to stop here. It's the church at Pergamos. And we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And two, Revelation 2, 1 and 2, I want you to get the the parallelism. Remember, the Old Testament conceals the new. The New Testament confirms and reveals the old. 
The only way you're going to understand the Old Testament is that you let it lead you to the New Testament because Jesus is the angel of the Lord, is he not? Listen carefully to it. Revelation 2.12, because I want you to deal with the church at Pergamos. Here it is. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he that hath the what? There it is. There it is, a sharp sword. Now, what is the sword but the word of the living God? Right? Notice what it says over in verse 13 then. Look at what it says in verse 13. I know your works, where you dwell, even where what? Satan's seat is. In other words, he's talking to a church about the authority of Satan in the church. That's a paradox. That's oxymoronic, is it not? Shouldn't Christ be the king of the church? But in this church, Satan's seat is there, is it not? In Pergamos, notice what it says. He says, where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name, and you have not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. Anywhere there's a faithful church, it's going to be persecution against it. The enemy hates faithful preaching. So you're going to suffer for Christ's sake when you obey the gospel. Watch this. Where my faithful martyr was, who was slain among you, where Satan what? Now look at verse 14 through 16. Here it is. But I have a few things against you. So you see, he's the Lord of the church and he will discipline his church. That means he will stand and fight against people in the church who are wicked and disobedient. Am I making some sense? See, you need to know that sometimes God winnows the church out. I've been pastoring for a long time. I know what winnowing is. When people don't want to walk right with the Lord, they disappear. I'm just letting you know how this works. Notice what it says. He's the one with the sharp sword. That was the way, that was, his, that was his card, that was his insignia that he gave to Pergamos, right? The one with the sharp two-edged sword. Notice what it says. I have a few things against you because you have them there that hold the doctrine of what? Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to do what? Eat things sacrificed unto idols and commit fornication. There it is. False worship and pagan solicitous sexual activity. This predominates the world I live in today. Now notice what he says, verse 15, because I want you to see the language. We're almost done. Notice what it says. So you also have them that hold the doctrine of the what? Nicolaitans, which things I hate. What does he hate? The doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I know theology well, and I'm going to help you. Balaam is the Old Testament counterpart to the Nicolaitan, the New Testament contemporary uh, expression of the same thing. The doctrine of Balaam is idolatry and fornication. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is what we call licentiousness. It is the doctrine of fornication and, and idolatry as well. They're both the same doctrine. One comes from the old, the other comes from the new. Did that make some sense? Literally in the Hebrew, Balaam means to conquer. Balaam means to conquer. It means to rule. It means to conquer and rule with the point of destroying. That's what Balaam means. Literally, the Nicolaitans means to rule over the people. It's a contracted word. Nikos means to rule. Laity means people. Did y'all get that? Right. When you have wicked rulers, they rule over you with rigor with the objective of destroying you. 
Balaam wanted to destroy Israel right along with Balak. The Nicolaitans wanted to rule over the people and destroy them through the idolatry of false worship and fornication. Did y'all get that? Because you see, to sin against the Lord sets you up for destruction. If your leaders promote evil, they want to destroy you. This is why my leaders in this government is setting us up to be destroyed. It's important for you to know that. Now look at verse 16. I want you to see the correlation between the old and the new. Repent or else I will come unto you, Balaam, and I will fight against you with the what? Sword of my mouth. You see the correlation between the old and the new? You see the sword drawn by the angel of the Lord? against Balaam. Do you see it? Do you see the sword of the Lord Jesus against the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans here in Revelation chapter 2? Here is the blessed truth that I want to give you as we go away. Go back to our text. I want to show you a little caveat that you need to know. This is absolutely wonderful to me and I'm going home after this. Thank you, Lord. This is the Lord speaking in verse 31 and 32 and 33. I'm at verse 30. One, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. His sword was drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Him and the donkey on the ground now. Am I making sense? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every creature in heaven in hell, in the earth beneath, will acknowledge him as creator and Lord. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, wherefore have you smitten your ass these three times? I went out to withstand you because your way is perverse before me. There it is. Don't ever equivocate. Balaam was evil and Jesus was standing against him. Y'all got it? Notice the next verse. And the ass saw me. Thank you, Lord. There are few asses that see the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory and in his splendor. I've tried to pepper you with that throughout this whole message to get you to understand that God knows how to show mercy by revealing who he is to men and women, to rebel sinners who apart from his grace are deserving nothing but hell. This ass was serving and employed by a wicked man. As you and I served Satan prior to the Lord revealing his glory to us. If God had not opened your eyes to the beauty and splendor and fullness and sufficiency of Jesus, you'd still be being ridden by a person leading you to hell. Some of us have come up out of churches with false prophets and false teachers leading you the wrong way. And in God's mercy, he shows you an exalted savior in the person of Christ and liberated you from that captivity. Notice what the text says. The ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now. Also, I had slain thee and saved her alive. Listen to me when this is all over with. The only person that's going to be saved 
is this ass that saw the glory of God and bowed the knee to Christ. Balaam will die. Balak will die. Five kings will die. The Midianites will die. But this ass will ride on into Jerusalem with the Lord Jesus Christ on her back. An ass in the fold of an ass. And you have to ask the question, whose donkey you are, because you're somebody's donkey. I'd rather be the donkey of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. He can ride me anytime he wants to. He can ride me wherever he wants me. He can ride me as long as he wants to. He can ride me uphill, downhill. He can ride me in the valley. He can ride me on the wayside. He can ride me in the narrow way. It does not matter as long as the Lord Jesus Christ is guiding my life. That's the issue here. That's the issue here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 closes. Second Peter chapter 2, because Peter talked about this. Now, Peter was an ass too. And Jesus owned him and turned him around, didn't he? You can get mad at Peter all you want, but he got the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> he was stupid and dumb, but he got the keys now. I want to hang out with a brother like that, don't you? See, heaven is for sinners. This is what you need to know. Heaven is for sinners redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. No righteous people in heaven. Only those clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Listen to what Peter says. They're talking about the rulers of the church of his day and mind, having eyes full of adultery, can't cease from sin. Isn't that what you see of these false prophets that we're dealing with today? And what do they do? They beguile unstable souls. You used to be among them. I did too for a few minutes. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Here it is. They're what kind of children? Cursed. The curse that Balaam tried to put on Israel was put on him. Look at the next verse. Here it is, verse 15. Verse 15, uh, there it is. Which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Does this not hallmark our churches today? Look at the next verse. Here it is. Look at it, verse 16. But was rebuked for his iniquity. That's what the ass did, rebuked him. Now, you know what a rebuke is? It's when somebody stops you on your mad dash for doing wrong. And you and I know we don't like to be rebuked. But sometimes we have to be rebuked because our momentum is leading us in a bad way. Now, notice what the text is. I'm going to let you go. I know I had you way too long. Listen, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Do you see it? Y'all all all right? Right. Literal Greek grammar, Balaam was beside himself. That's the literal Greek grammar. It's from where we get the term paranoia. Have you ever heard someone being paranoid? That means they are so wrapped up in ideas and notions and suspicions that are ungrounded. This is literally paraphronian. It's a term that means he's out of his mind. Balaam was out of his mind, but he looked good to everybody else. Did y'all hear what I just stated? 
So we've got men and women who look good, who talk well, who are lured tens of thousands. And they are as nutty as a fruitcake outside of themselves. You should watch them in secret. You hear them talking crazy because they're unhinged. They're not grounded. They're not sound. And that's how the devil works. My heart breaks for people who give themselves over to the entertainment world. Because they'll come out on stage and they'll perform before you and they'll make people worship them. And the rest of the time in the dark, they are tormented by demons and devils and a mind unhinged from reality. That's because the devil loves to lie to us and give us a false story about reality. And he does it in the secular world and he does it in the sanctified sanctuary of the people of God too. America is best at it. We are so good at lying to men and women that the whole world tries to mock us in the area of false religion. Am I making some sense? Don't be anybody's ass but the Lord Jesus. Amen.